from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. And hello, everyone, to another edition of the Red Raider Podcast. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, bringing you all you need to know about Texas Tech football. So with that in mind, we got to bring in some experts on that subject, and that being David Collier of Red Raider Nation, Mack, sports director, and then, of course, you've got Ryan King, KOBK sports director and knower of all things high school, plus a little bit of Texas Tech football. How are you all doing? Man, we got some very generous wow. – uh, very generous introductions. They're experts, knowing all things. Everything. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank you, Carlos. I got to. I got to look at the updated uh, forecast rankings. I might know just about as much as uh, Ryan King does about high school football. Well, you know what? I got to fill time. You know, that's what. <laughs> that's why I got to make these really long intros. And and again, just to let everyone know, I just mentioned I'm a lowly sports editor. So there you go. But of course, uh, joking aside, we're going to talk a little bit about Texas Tech hosting UT. That's the game everyone circled on the calendar ever since the Big 12 conference changed its schedule due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Texas Tech now hosting UT, of course, not in front of a packed crowd like everyone was expecting, but a crowd nonetheless, and Texas Tech coming off a 35-33 victory over Houston Baptist. We'll talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about what Coach Matt Wells said today as we're recording this on Monday, and uh, just some overall thoughts and maybe some themes or notes from uh, Collier and Ryan. So just to kind of start things off, David, I know you guys were chatting with Matt Wells in the Zoom press conference today. I was listening to his teleconference earlier. I guess what, what really stood out to, to you about Coach Wells, especially going into his second game against Texas, now with a new offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think he uh, basically downplayed the fact that, you know, Texas has a different offensive coordinator, uh, defensive co- co-defensive coordinators. It didn't seem like something that they could uh, necessarily dwell on. I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's something that they knew was the situation. They have a game of video to go over, but it didn't seem like, you know, obviously all coaches downplay that, right? I mean, even though it's a, it, it looks to be like a completely different offense, I mean, personnel-wise, obviously, for Texas, other than the main people, the offensive line and the quarterback. But uh, I think it, I think there has to be some kind of disappointment that they don't have a couple of extra weeks to at least have more tape on a football team that they don't know about. I know you can go back and look at uh, Yersich uh, elsewhere during his – coaching career, but at the same time, adding different uh, elements to Sam Ellinger going into this and not really knowing what you're getting has to be something that I'm sure Keith Patterson and company will have to be concerned about going forward this week. So with that in mind, Ryan, with some concerns that everyone saw against Houston Baptist and giving up those big plays, uh, did Coach Wells mention anything about any corrections being made or what they did during the bye week? Man, that's a good question. We were, I feel like multiple people were asking questions about, you know, what's going to be changed, what's going to be different. And it felt like a lot of it was chalked up to, you know, it was a first game. There's a lot to learn. I think it was Eli that even mentioned that, well, you know, without non-conference games, with only one non-conference game, like things always look sloppy at the beginning of the year. So I think if there's a whole lot, I mean, Matt Wells is a smart guy. There's, there has to be adjustments. There's going to be things that look different, but it seems like he's playing, playing it pretty close to the chest collier. Maybe you can, answer this better, but I did not pick up much that I thought was going to be that he was telling us that was going to be changed for this week. No, it seemed like it was basically 
Um, nothing really has changed since the last time we talked to you about this. I think we all saw what happened and what we put on tape and we'll uh, improve from there. I think the, the best part about the whole keeping it close to the best thing was when they were asked about the players that were missing and clearly the Red Raiders probably needed those guys. And he, he fired right back and it wasn't being rude. It was just being honest. Look, until the Big 12 Conference tells us we have to tell you who's coming back, we're not telling you who's coming back. And I think that's that's huge going into this because, you know, you'd like to know if Colin Schooler, I was going to ask about Schooler and his progression. Then after that answer came, I figured I would be wasting my time asking about him. They need yeah. him too. My goodness, of all the guys back. I mean, I know he's – he may not know the defense as well. He's still new and all that. But just the pure talent-wise, Carlos, he – they need – I think – I mean, especially in a matchup like this, they're going to need as much as they can get out there. Because I don't know how much you can say you're missing – a guy like Schooler who hasn't, you know, suited up for you yet. But, man, that defense could have really used him against HBU. Well, the one good thing, and I, I got this from Don. I'm sure you guys have heard him talk, although it's a whisper yell. But um, with, with, with the way Don talks about the front seven, that's one thing that is good for Texas Tech. They've got plenty of linebackers. The one thing that they do need is some pressure from that defensive line. And it's interesting that you spoke to Eli Howard today because that, that was a guy that everyone's kind of looking to in terms of the defense, to be that linchpin, to be that leader, to be that guy that kind of leads the way, or every once in a while get maybe double teams and help out Tony Bradford or Philip Bleedy or anyone else that is on the defensive line. I guess what, what were his thoughts and perspective, Ryan, in terms of just playing Texas or just overall as to how he played against Houston Baptist if he was asked that? I mean, Eli was definitely the one saying, you know, we weren't we weren't where we wanted to be. We're going to have to be sharper. Um, he was proud when we asked him about the two goal line stops, the interception stop. They said that's something they can build on. But I think he was a very good mouthpiece for the defense. And as far as I think they're very aware, they know they're going to give up points. They know they're going to give up yards. It's going to be about staying in it long enough to get some key stops down the road. Because you're not going to hold Texas to 10 or 14 points and just say, Oh, the defense shut him down all day long. So I think he knows there's plenty to work on, specifically when he was asked about Ellinger. You know, they've played a lot of mobile guys in the Big 12. They still have, they, you know, they still do, they have in the past. But he was saying that Sam Ellinger, the thing is, he can be elusive, but more than anything, it's like when you get your hands on, you know, you can tell how strong he is and how tough he is to bring down. So I think they're really focused on containing him, wrapping him up when they do get a hand on him. Because if he's extending plays with that type of explosive offense, they're going to have a long day. And the D-line knows, to Don's credit, like you're saying, like the D-line knows a lot of it's going to be on them to not let um, the rushing attack get going, not let Sam Ellinger explode on. Because they do know, I don't think they're going to admit this to us straight up, but they know like they're going to give up points. The, Texas is going to score in this game. But they have to keep it within arm's reach in case the offense uh, has a lull like they did against Houston Betts. If you have a lull of – a quarter, a quarter and a half, two quarters where you're not scoring against Texas, you can get buried quickly. Going back to you. I'll go ahead, David. I think I think it was interesting too. It seemed like Eli was asked numerous times about having to get pressure against Texas. Even on the back end, uh, was asked about the secondary struggles, and he made sure. I think, as you mentioned, Ryan, the fact that he was in there, it might have been the hey, this is probably the most important position group going into this football game, and. They only had one sack against Texas last year. And if they're, like you said, if they're going to be able to get pressure, if, if they can't get pressure, that secondary is going to be in trouble for a second straight game. Now, again, going back to your point, David, I know you talked about Colin Schooler, but another guy that could potentially help the defense, that being the back end, could be if DeMarcus Fields does return. So certainly that's someone that you would like to have back if you can, just in terms of 
continuity, pardon me, I was about to say continuity. I can't remember who the the person was that said that, but (laughs) I guess just in terms of those things, I know it's maybe downplayed a little bit. Me and Don spoke about it during our podcast. I don't know how you all feel about it, but I know everyone's talking about, well, you, you didn't play very well against Houston Baptist. Don and I got to the point where it was a big story because of the way it was framed by national outlets and some other ones, but Texas Tech getting to those 75 positive cases, uh, active cases, pardon me, I believe, or, or um, positive cases. I, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. apologize, but I'm pretty sure it's positive cases that they've had total, which was 75, and everyone was saying, well, this is a big number. Yeah, it's going to be a big number because it's a football team, but the more important thing because of contract rate, contact tracing, pardon me, is the fact that you're going to have a lot of guys out and you're not going to have that continuity that you normally have. And I think that's the one thing that people are forgetting is that you're not having all these guys that can still practice. If you are out, you are not near the facility. They are gone. So it's not like they're playing with each other, getting that that uh, chemistry, if you will, like an Alan Bowman to Eric Ezekonma type chemistry or Dalton Rigdon or even the, the, the backup quarterbacks with some of their wide receivers. That's what people keep forgetting. And I think those are kind of the two underlying themes that are going to be uh, the big things about throughout this year is that teams that brought back a lot of their talent may have an edge up because they've already got a little bit of chemistry because they've worked together. And the other thing too, is that backups are going to be huge, especially at the quarterback position. If your starters out, you better make sure that you try and get enough reps for you guys, which Matt Wells said during his teleconference, there's not a lot of reps to go because you obviously want to get your starter enough time to gel with whoever is active or who is available to use a term from Texas Tech, um, throughout the week. So I don't know if, if that's something that's kind of uh, gone through your head, David, but but I certainly think it's a huge deal that people need to realize that each week, I don't think you're going to see the same 11 guys throughout the whole week work with each other. Yeah, and if you're trying to improve a defense, I mean, just think about cornerbacks and safeties working together you know, and if you don't have the trust in one guy because you haven't been out there with him and you don't know exactly what they're going to do. I mean, there's got to be situations where even a, a cornerback or slash safety gets frustrated with the other one because they don't know what they're doing and it affects their play, whether they believe it or not, you know, in that split second on the field. I mean, yeah, you mentioned, I think that's the biggest thing is you have to get the guys you know are going to start as many reps as possible with the limited amount of work that they've been able to do. And that that's at the – I mean, that, that unfortunately the backups suffer from that because, like you said, they can instantaneously be thrust into the starting lineup and not be ready with a group of guys that they really haven't spent any time working with. And I guess just to kind of uh, make sure that I do have this correct, headline was 75 Texas Tech football players have tested positive. COVID-19 since June. So again, obviously spread out, maybe the way it was framed, but I, I think it's it's a high number. Um, it's been true, but the thing is, is that ta- uh, that in, in Don's column that he mentioned, 64 people across all of its football specific and tested positive since screening for it began in June, nor on September 2nd when the numbers Tech put out were showing 63 had tested positive. So Again, just one of those things, and the the one that he really kind of emphasized was the number of active cases of COVID-19 among Tech football players has gone from 21 reported on August 25th to 12 on September 2nd, and I believe 6 last Monday. So I think that's something that you can kind of 
infer as to what David and Ryan were talking about in terms of maybe you will see some guys you haven't seen before. And again, maybe you may get some extra continuity, but um, unless you got some thoughts on that continuity, Ryan, uh, obviously Sam Ellinger's really good. Tariq Black's really good for Texas. Who are you kind of expecting to kind of be those playmakers for the Longhorns? Man, obviously, yeah, you can go with those guys. I don't know how much he'll get to play, but I've been waiting a few years with Bijan Robinson, the running back there. He's yeah. been a he's a highly touted guy years ago um, as, you know, one of the best – with the potential of being one of the best running backs they've had in many, many years at Texas. And that is saying something. They've had some guys here in recent memory. But if they get that early lead, they start handing off to him, handing off to any running backs. If they're getting enough yards, they're getting those first downs – I think Tech is going to be in trouble. But, yes, obviously it's all going to start with Ellinger. If they jump out to a – if they get the ball twice, it's 14 nothing. it's 17 nothing. Tech is – I think this Tech defense, it's going to be tough for them to play from behind because once – it feels like once they get reeling and they are back on their heels, I think that's how Houston Baptist was able to um, score the way they were. It felt like even – they started to not trust themselves as much, and the, the deep bombs just started working on them. So that's, that's really what I'd be looking for in this game. David, I guess from your perspective, I know this might be another theme that everyone kind of talks about maybe as conference play starts, but is uh, home field advantage kind of a big deal now because you're not having those big crowds? Yeah, that was something that was asked to Coach Wells and Eli, the fact that in a, in a year that you get Texas and Oklahoma at home, you're going to be basically playing in front of nobody. And for Eli, he, he mentioned the fact that he, the defense specifically feeds off of the crowd, especially on a big third down. You know, they pump that music in there and everything, and it's just it's going to be so stale and so different in there. And that certainly plays to the offense, especially when they can hear snap counts and, and, and what and whatnot. I, I will mention this. I don't know if I mentioned this last week's podcast. It is a weird and eerie feeling in there when I was down doing the yes. scoreboard stuff was um, when, when a team got a first down, they would pump in um, sound noise and it, w- it wouldn't come in gradually. It was just this, all of a sudden Ted gets a first down. It's really quiet. You hear a couple clapping and then boom, this really loud cheer. It's all, it, 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 didn't sit with me very well, and it's very off-putting. But uh, I know they have to pump it in there, and if it affects the uh, other other team in some way, shape, or form for that five seconds that it uh, jars you your your head, I guess that's one way to do it. But yeah, it's certainly a completely different thing, and it's unfortunate for them with those two teams in town this year. And not only for the defense, but it kind of almost gives the offense an advantage because you don't have to worry about signal calls. You, you can mm-hmm. work on your cadence still. You don't have to worry about those things. Yeah, I mean, you can say it's going to be loud, but if I'm not mistaken, I think there's a certain decibel level that you can keep or that they have to keep that uh, noise at. So at some point, you can practice with it because I'm sure most teams do practice with that decibel level at that level anyway when they're practicing for these quote-unquote road games. So I'm sure they'll be fine and ready for it. I know, Carlos, the funny thing, college, pro, everything, people are getting drawn off sides on calls at their home stadiums. (laughs) So it's not loud enough. People are getting pulled off sides and like – and you generally don't see that. You know, you come in here and it's loud in there. Sam Ellinger has to go to a silent count. You know, it's now – uh, you're you're seeing ro- uh, road teams that it's quiet enough in there they can pull and it's, it really does take away a lot of that advantage for everybody whether it's you know uh, ranked teams unranked teams for everybody it just it is a more even playing field and it, it is bad I remember when it was a discuss a discussion topic last year 
I can't remember if Don wrote about it or not, but I saw it was like a discussion point was, man, why are we playing OU in Texas the same year on the road? And that was a thing years ago. Yeah. That was a decision made to move them in the same year. Four years like this that you're hoping, okay, maybe we can catch some lightning in a bottle, at least be one of them, if not both. You get them both at home in the same year. But it is just bad luck for Tech that you go on the road to each of those places the very next year there's a pandemic and you don't yeah. really have a home field advantage against them. Yeah, so I guess just on that note, I guess I'll ask both of you for your thoughts on uh, – or X factors, if you will, I guess, on the Texas Tech-UT game. Obviously, Texas Tech getting a win over Houston Baptist. You can say whatever you want about it. Um, I know we talked about it last week a little bit. Um, Don and I talked a little bit about it. I think the, the biggest thing that you can take away, at least from my perspective, to give you guys some time to think about it, um, your biggest leap, at least a cliche in sports – is that going from week one to week two is always there. So the fact that Texas Tech is kind of on the same wavelength as Texas will be interesting to watch because Texas only has tape of them whooping on UTEP, which most people do, even though they're two and one right now. But Texas Tech has, I would think, maybe a little bit more – experience slash learning lessons from their tape because not only did they realize, okay, one, we can get through this type of game where we're going through a pandemic. Number two, we have some videotape on some guys in terms of what they need to fix or what we need to fix as coaches to make sure that they're in the right positions to, to make a play. And number three, you're just able to figure out how guys react in game time situations compared to, okay, it's fourth and one on the one they need to score before halftime. What do we do? And in that situation, obviously, it was a positive for them. There were maybe more negatives than that. But the fact that you know that your defense can, for lack of a better term, play well, I'm sure there's another term that people can think of uh, that is probably not podcast worthy and I'd have to put explicit on here. <laughs> um, they, they certainly played up to the level that they needed to to make that play, that being Krishan Merriweather and Thomas Leggett making the big play there. But uh, I think those are the three things, at least from my perspective. Uh, David, I guess from your perspective, what, what, what can you take away from – not necessarily if, – if you want to mention Houston Baptist, you can, but I think what's the biggest thing you can take away from going week one to week two and what they've learned from just that, that type of uh, perspective? Well, stealing from that and what Eli said in the press conference on Monday, you know, being able to take advantage maybe in those moments. They've been in those moments, not necessarily saying you want to learn from those situations against Houston Baptist, but they have been in those actual moments yeah. and had to deal with adversity in their first game. Texas has tougher practices, it seems like, maybe than that first game against UTEP. No disrespect um, there, but – um, yeah, I, I'm still kind of concerned defensively, though, going forward, because you you were torched by a team that couldn't run the football. Texas is going to try to run the football against you some. So if Texas is successful running the football against you, then what when it comes to the pass? Not that I can't imagine that they haven't been working on that, but it, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can slow down Texas's run game before I even think about the pass game that they what had seven touchdown passes against the, yeah. the minor. Good. Yeah. The minors, unfortunately there were 11, uh, there, there were 11 guys on the field. It didn't seem like it when you, you know, you pass for 426 yards and five touchdowns, but you know, that's what, that's what you did. Yeah. I guess, Ryan, I just kind of based on that. I know 
David kind of mentioned it. Joshua Moore, 127 yards, a touchdown. Keontae Ingram did what Keontae Ingram does and kind of all those things. What are your, I guess, going away thoughts as Texas Tech hosts UT this weekend? I, the only word I keep coming back to with everything is just pressure. It, I think Texas Tech has to make sure Texas is uncomfortable. And I mean this in every way. you got to get to Sam Ellinger early. You can't have him just standing back there. Ideally, you want them to play from behind and not dictate the pace right from the beginning, get off to a hot start, and Tech is playing from behind. Just really want to see how Texas does respond. And who knows, maybe they would respond fine. But, like, if you're Texas Tech, you got to put some pressure on Texas. The, the Longhorns cannot come in to Jones AT&T Stadium, put up a 21-0 lead eight minutes into the game. I think you want to put pressure, like I said, on the scoreboard. You want to make Sam Ellinger not comfortable back there. You have to get to him. That's why I think the D-line linebackers also have to be the X factor. They have to be able to get through. They have to have their presence felt. Um, if, you're, if you're allowing that team to feel comfortable, you're, like Collier's right, once it's 14 nothing, whatever, they're going to start running the ball. And if you can't slow that, that down, you, you are the one playing from behind. And all of a sudden, Texas Tech – starts thinking, man, we struggle with Houston Baptist. We lose this game. Yeah, we're one and one, but we haven't had a good performance yet. I think the pressure – I don't know how much pressure tech, Texas has felt this year. I'm going to go with probably next to none so far. So I, I really need to see Texas Tech putting some pressure on the Longhorns and just see how they adapt with it because it feels like early on Tech can start playing with that pressure. And I didn't think they handled the pressure too well against the Huskies. Once again, that's Ryan King, KLBK Sports Director. You can watch him on the television screen, I believe, at 10 and 6, if I'm not mistaken. Is that, that right? is correct. About 625 and 1025, roughly yeah. around there. And if he writes anything for the web, everythinglubbock.com is where you can get his stuff. Uh, David Collier, of course, on Red Raider Nation, I believe, at the same times. Mine's actually a minute earlier. So if you want to tune into mine a minute earlier, you can get it all a minute earlier. <laughs> There you go. So you, can get your, so you can get your Red Raiders and your high school coverage on your television screen. And of course, if you want it in print coverage, you can go to LubbockOnline.com and pick up the old newspaper. Yes, people still do that each day at about five or six when they do come out. Once again, we appreciate you all listening to another edition of the Red Raider podcast. This has been brought to you by AJ Media and the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Don't forget to Follow us on Twitter at Red Raider Sports. And then, of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, which if you are listening, we appreciate you. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Then, of course, uh, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, don't forget there are other ways you can listen to us. Tune in, Spotify, all those other deals as well. I am Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. This has been the Red Raider Podcast. We'll talk to you later in the week.